0: And sit down. It kind of does hit all of those, you know, turning points that you expect from a movie. And it does it so well that you don't feel like it's formula.
1: Welcome back to Pop Craft, where we autopsy the screenplays behind your favorite films and TV shows. I'm your host, Carl Albert. I'm so excited to be back with season two of Pop Craft. After a bit of a break, I've been spending some time really thinking about how best to differentiate and improve Pop Craft from other. Screenwriting podcasts out there. And so we're returning with a couple new segments. We'll get to those down the line. Uh, But I'm so excited to welcome our first guest of season two, Naomi Beatty, who is a screenwriting teacher and consultant who works with writers, producers, and directors at all levels of Hollywood to develop their film and television projects. She's previously worked with Madonna and Gaio series Maverick Films. And also with Blake Snyder, analyzing 50 movies for his second book, Save the Cat, Goes to the Movies. Most recently, she's just released her book, The Screenplay Outline Workbook, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little more down the line. So welcome to the show, Naomi.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad uh, that you were down to see and talk about everything everywhere all at once, uh, which is a movie that is very near and dear to my heart. It's literally one of my favorite movies now. Uh, so the third time seeing it when I was rewatching it for this, and I, I, I guess it was your first time, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I watched it for the first time, and then again for the second time the next night when we decided to watch this movie and discuss it, and I did not expect to like it as much as I did. Uh, made me cry both times, made me laugh both times, so... Oh, yeah. I was kind of blown away by it actually. I, I was, to be honest, a little bit um resistant to it, which is why I hadn't seen it up until, you know, we started talking. So I was, you know, a little hesitant about this one, but that I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I watched it because it's I think it's now one of my favorite movies too. So
1: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And yeah, it's definitely <laughs> I have some friends who either like really loved it or just didn't quite connect with it. So I was a little worried, you know. It's definitely it's a very peculiar movie and the Daniels definitely have a very distinctive voice and style I, I like Swiss Army Man but I definitely think this movie just like they, they seem so much more confident and they, it's so original and really the genre bending was I, I mean it's unlike any movie I've ever seen and so uh, I'm so excited to talk about it today and uh, I just want to start us off by asking you you know what are your general thoughts on the movie and uh, what stood out to you about it?
0: Let's see, like I said, i I wasn't super excited to see the movie, which is why I hadn't, you know, run out to see it um, before we talked. And then what I think stood out to me the most was how sort of cohesive all of the elements were. It like there's so much to talk about with this movie because every, part of it every piece of it every choice that they made works together and contributes to the overall you know experience of seeing the movie and the overall story and I was so impressed by that just because a lot of movies you know even movies that I love there'll be one or two you know elements of it where you're like ah that was you know okay i don't know if that was the exact right choice to you know for that particular movie or whatever but this one felt like everything that they did worked in the big picture and and contributed and made it better you know what i mean it was sort of compound interest on everything that they added to this movie
1: absolutely i i I definitely agree i think particularly in the first half of the movie you know i was enjoying it as i was watching it but i was like how is this all going to pay off? Like there's, there's so many different threats and they kept introducing new ones and new, you know, universes. I, I don't think we get to, uh, the Raku Kuni, uh, of it all until like pretty late in the movie, like the second half of the movie, but like it all comes together and it all pays off in like a really cathartic, really satisfying ending. And I just, that blew me away too. I, de- that was definitely one of the things that really stood out to me is the movie is so all over the place. And I don't even like, I don't mean that as a negative. It's like, it's very of its time. It's very, you know, it's like very internet forward, internet humor sort of with so many ideas that feel like they shouldn't all mesh together. Uh, But I think it really does work. And I mean, you've seen it have a pretty long uh, runtime in theaters and it has just like, uh, it's really connecting with audiences in a way that honestly surprises me, but I, that I love. I love to see a movie this weird and this, um, you know and a little indie movie. Uh, made for 25 million dollars be as successful as it is and as lauded as it is uh because it really is like i mean to me it feels almost like a game changer in some ways in terms of like this is what you're capable of doing even with a smaller budget i mean i can't believe that movie cost 25 million dollars it looks as good as like you know a lot of hundred million dollar movies
0: agree agree and it was it's one of the very few movies that I actually, like as I'm watching it, I already want to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> you know, I, I want to discuss Absolutely. it even as I'm in in the experience of watching it. But something you said though, really was another thing I wanted to mention, which was, I don't think I've ever had, well, maybe once or twice, but it, there are very few movies where I feel very seen and heard <laughs> when I'm watching them as well. And I felt so connected to this movie In in different ways, but that also really made me want to talk about it because I was so curious about how you felt connected to it. Because I, you know, we have very different backgrounds and we're different people and everything. And I've had other people, you know, want to talk about this movie with me and also say that they feel so connected to it and they, you know, resonate with a particular character or a particular theme or storyline. And I find that really interesting that it's such a weird, like you said, it's such a bonkers movie. And yet so many people feel like really, really intimately sort of involved in in kind of what's going on in it.
1: Absolutely. Oh, man. Uh, Where to even start with that? That's a great. No, I mean, that's a great question. I think one of the things that really stood out to me and is a thing that I don't find addressed in very many movies if any at all certainly not in this particular way is the movie's approach to generational conflict and part and in particular the millennial gen z uh sense of like nihilism and that like everything is fucked up and broken and um, things aren't getting better if anything they're getting worse and you know on top of that combining that sort of with the generational disconnect with like parents or uh, elder family members. And I just found that story uh, from both sides of it to feel really authentic and really true to me. You know, the ultimate messaging also was really refreshing and powerful. And, you know, I really loved um, certainly as someone who uh, in the last several years has felt Really hopeless at times, and and really, you know, like with global warming and everything impending, like just feeling like kind of lost and trapped, and it's like, what what's even, you know, the purpose of life? You know, what where's my meaning? Like, am I gonna be okay? Or are my kids gonna be okay? I've I have two little nieces, and you know, just the constant anxiety of, around all that, and like this sort of reaffirmation of the power of love and kindness in the face of nihilism, which is something I'm gonna want to talk about a bit more later on from a particular craft angle, actually. But it was just something I found really meaningful. And approaching that not only in the the really broad existential way, but through the specific lens of these family dynamics. I mean, I'm a sucker for family dramas. Like, (laughs) everything I write personally is like, has some family drama element to it. I just, I love it. You know, when you, whether you're talking about like epic fantasies, like Game of Thrones or, you know, The Godfather, like any, and now everything everywhere all at once, like it doesn't matter what genre it is or what sort of the structure story is, you know, if it's got like real family dramas and and those dynamics, you know, are complicated, but like very sincerely told, that always hits me where it hurts. Um, And so I definitely found myself, most connecting to uh, those elements, I would say. But how about you?
0: Yeah, I well, I agree. I mean, I think that that aspect of the movie and of any movie that, that does it well, right? Like that is kind of, we connect to the characters and to the relationships. Absolutely. And just as you were saying that, I thought, you know, maybe that's why so many different people sort of feel connected to this movie because it represents so many different generations. Well, not so many. It represents three different generations of a family. So there's kind of someone for everyone, you know. And I feel like the the parts that really, the obvious parts that connected me to the movie, I think, were the Evelyn character, the Michelle Yeoh. She, in some ways, reminded me a lot of my mom, who is also Chinese. And uh, but then in other ways reminded me of myself and so I felt like I kind of connected with that character in you know different ways um and I just I loved how hopeful the the sort of ultimate message of the movie was you know I I felt like it's been a long time I think since I saw a movie that felt that genuinely hopeful and that genuinely like just true with their message like they I feel like those filmmakers really believe what they put into that movie you know
1: absolutely Yeah, no, yeah, I agree 100%. It What I really respected was that they didn't pull back and like have Evelyn be like, at the end of the movie, I totally understand you with her daughter, Joy, or like, have them be like, yes, everything is super meaningful all the time. And it's like, yeah. you know, they, they were much more they were committed their message, which was like, you know, Jobu Tsapaki has a point, things can really suck. And uh, maybe we won't ever fully understand each other. And maybe uh, nothing really, you know, matters, but in that sort of space, then every decision, like we get to choose what matters and we get to love each other, you know, even in the face of our differences. And, you know, that that's the most important thing is that we find that connection and that, that joy and that love in each other and in extending that compassion and kindness to each other. And I, it's almost like, it it feels like almost like a Disney message, but it's delivered in this package that is so like obscene and, and has edgy, very again, like the the confronting the nihilism of it all of it all was just so like movies don't do that like how often <laughs> do you see a movie that's just like you know that isn't just like some crime drama where like you know some like drunken PI is like nothing fucking matters <laughs> like you know I, I hate myself and I hate women even more like sort of <laughs> nihilism like to see this like sort of confronted head on and not sidestepping it but still finding optimism in the face of it, I thought was just, just so incredible and um, really touched me very closely.
0: Yeah. And I feel like they, they had to sort of take you through those really dark places in order for that very optimistic kind of takeaway message to not feel Saccharin, you know what I mean? Like if Absolutely. it had been, if they had like gone easy on us the whole way through and then deliver this happy message, it would have felt kind of Disney, and you know, and I and just mean that in a fairy tale, uh,
1: like yeah, yeah,
0: it would have felt soft, you know. Right. But they like really take you into some dark places and some genuine kind of like dark emotions, you know, before before Evelyn kind of clawing her way out of it and earning that happy ending, you know, or that happy kind of takeaway. So.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think that perfectly leads into one of the things I really wanted to talk about, which was and I think this actually ties in a lot of the things we've been discussing, which is th- this movie is very eccentric, very, you know, the elements are very eclectic. But I do think that one of the things that really I haven't even actually seen um, addressed as much when I, I, I've been like listening to people discuss it is that the actual emotional arc for Evelyn is like very um, very clearly, sort of follows the traditional three act structure in a way, and I think three act structure sometimes gets a bad rap because I don't think people fully understand what it means. Um, and and I think one of the ways of approaching it that maybe gives you more flexibility, particularly in like a, in terms of like the overall like plotting, is really trying to view it from you know the emotional arc uh, and the perspective of the of the character's arc. And I found that Evelyn's arc really kind of hit it. And to sort of go um, in sort of a nonlinear fashion uh, towards what you are saying about, like really having to put her through the r- ringer to not make the ending and the ultimate message and, you know, the catharsis of her arc. Um, I mean, to make that really meaningful and not feel saccharine. She does have to hit that dark night of the soul moment, you know, towards the end of the second act. That that's, I, I think some people feel like that's almost like a checklist that they have to hit and they don't really think about like, why is this such a meaningful moment? Like, why is this in, in so many movies? Why is this such a common structure? And it's like, you you want to get to that moment where everything has been taken from your characters, you know, where they've been confronted with their own flaws, their own weaknesses. And they, you know, if there's an antagonist, often the antagonist, like, will win this moral argument. You know, Jobu, Topaki making Evelyn accept uh, right towards the end of the second act three quarters of the way through the movie that, you know, nothing matters. My life sucks. I can just give it all up and go into the void. And you really have to hit that because it then makes her ultimate victory, uh, particularly her emotional victory and her understanding uh, that much more impactful and that much more meaningful. It's in the wake of that dark night of the soul um, towards the end of the second act that this, the emotional stakes feel so real and so legitimate that then the victory is also, you know, feels earned.
0: Yeah, yeah, You, I mean, I think you hit it exactly right. Like, first of all, I dislike it very much when uh, those sort of like checkpoints are, are just kind of ticked off the list and people don't quite honor the spirit <laughs> of structure. Like when we talk about, you know, what structure really is, is you're trying to create a particular effect on your audience, right? And that's why you take them through kind of these, Uh, phases of a plot and phases of an emotional journey is because you're creating an effect on your audience. You're trying to elicit emotion from them, right? Um, So yeah, I think you're exactly right there. And then also, that was one of the things that I was noticing about the movie the second time I watched it was just how standard the structure is. And I think that that actually makes it accessible. Like for all of the crazy stuff that's going on, we feel like they're taking us on a, not a familiar ride, but a comfortable ride. You know what I mean? Like, we feel like they're in control. They know what they're doing. They're sort of taking us through that emotional journey that we are used to, the, the shape of it, right? The arc of it. And so they do every point in that arc really well. They take us to the high highs and the low lows, but it's it doesn't deviate from what we we've seen in other movies, sort of in the shape of that arc, right? And so it's easy to kind of accept all the crazy stuff they throw at you because we know that they're going to deliver sort of on what we're expecting from them emotionally. And then plot wise too, like it, it kind of does hit all of those, you know, turning points that you expect from a movie. And it does it so well that you don't feel like it's formula, you know?
1: Right. Absolutely. What you said earlier about hitting the spirit of the structure is like, that's such a key thing is like, you're not just checking boxes. You're really, you're trying to evoke that emotion, right? And there's a reason, you know, you maybe approach a story in a particular way. And I don't think that there's necessarily only one way to tell a story, but I think when you're using something like Hollywood's, you know, sort of mainstream three-act structure, there's a reason um, it is the way it is, and, like, people kind of view it the way they do, that, like, you know, you open up and you have your inciting incident, um, which both in terms of the plot and for the character arc of Evelyn is meeting Alpha Waymond and being introduced to the multiverse at large, being confronted with this idea that, like, what she's doing maybe in the grand scheme of all of reality and all the universes doesn't matter as much, and then, like, hitting her with that and having her be confronted with her own weaknesses and literally being told like, Oh my God, you know, by alpha Wayman later on in the movie, like you're the most pathetic Evelyn I've met, which is maybe why you can save the day. But like you have absolutely nothing going for you. You have done nothing your entire life. You're just sort of this ball of indecision. Who's like, you've sat on yourself the entire time. And it doesn't feel like that doesn't feel ham fisted either. Like that's such a, a crucial emotional moment. I think in the three act structure which is often even past the inciting incident, like towards the end of the the first act, like having someone like directly confronting the the character and being like, this is how you're bad. Like, this is, you know, this is what's wrong with you, you know, but hitting it in a way that's like, it feels very authentic because we've seen Evelyn. I mean, you know, to get to another kind of classic writing rules, like we've been shown Evelyn's indecision and like, you know, she wanted to be a dancer and a, a, a singer. She doesn't want to be necessarily trapped in this relationship, but she also doesn't want to divorce Waymond. And, you know, she wants to have a good relationship with her daughter, but she doesn't want to fully accept her. And she doesn't want to have that confrontation with her own father. And it's like she's just avoiding all of these things. And so, you know, she's then finally confronted with that by Alpha Waymond. uh, And then the midpoint is sort of the next major beat that it sort of hits in the three act structure that I think is often glossed over when people talk about it. Cause I think it's often viewed from a sort of plot perspective, but I think uh, from sort of the, to get back to like the spirit of the structure and the emotional impact of it is uh, this, you know, the, the midpoint, which is sometimes called the point of no return, which this movie perfectly hits, which is uh, Evelyn meeting Joe Boutapak and realizing it's her daughter and being like, yeah, there's no going back on all the things she's been confronted with. Like she now has to actively try and wants to actively try and does to confront Joe Topaki and to beat her. And uh, in doing all that, will have to confront her own weakness and face all of that. And so then you're set off to where, you know, we get to the Dark Knight of the Soul where she's like, you're right, Joy. Like everything is meaningless and I suck. And then ultimately to Wayman's big speech about kindness that kind of gets her to like, be like, oh shit. Look at the wonderful man I married. Look at how much I care for everything. Like maybe things do matter, and maybe we can push through. And then to then use her, to use kindness to you know literally fight with kindness at the end of the movie in the climax, which is such a, a clever, fun, subversive way of approaching uh, a martial arts movie. Anyway, yeah, but just that they, they hit all these exactly like you were saying these traditional beats, but it's not just hitting you know checking off a box. It's really uh, they understand. Um, why the beats are there, like what they're doing and the meaning behind them. And so when we finally, you know, have these big crucial moments, they feel earned and they feel impactful. And so the whole thing structurally feels very sound.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a pretty long movie. So, you know, with that sort of length, you also run into the the possibility, right, that it's going to drag or feel slow or feel the pacing feels off or the proportions of the, of the, plot feel off. But for me anyway, I have to say, I, I never felt like it was dragging or I was bored or I wanted to, you know, speed through the next bit. So they did, uh, they did an amazing job there too. Can I ask you a question about character? since Absolutely. Go <laughs> since, for it. since we're talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I was so curious what you thought of the Evelyn character in particular, kind of act one Evelyn and her introduction how we get to know her, because, like I said, I felt very connected to that character for a lot of different reasons, but as I was sort of thinking about it from a craft perspective, I thought, they didn't do a ton to make you, you know, you always hear so much about, like, a, a character, you know, your protagonist having to be likable, right? Sure. That, that, that other screenwriting rule that we <laughs> that we don't have to adhere to, but, but they didn't do a ton to make you sort of side with her. I mean, I guess you're sort of sympathetic, but I didn't see them, like, pulling a lot of tricks to make you sort of like, get on board with Evelyn as the protagonist. So I was curious what you thought, did you did you like the character? Did you feel invested in her? What kind of hooked you into the character side of things?
1: So, I, I mean, I, I think the first thing I'll say is that, that that is one of those um, ideas that I, I have always sort of chafed against the idea that like your main character should be likable. Like certainly there are times I just don't think it's like a hard and fast rule necessarily, but certainly something you hear around Hollywood a lot. And I think the key more than anything is it's not necessarily about likability. It's about emotional resonance. It's about making the audience feel something for the character that's like they're invested. I I think, in my opinion, a lot of the key ways they do that is, like you said, you, you feel a level of sympathy for her. It's like, you, you know, or, you know, even maybe empathy is, is the right word in that, like, she is struggling financially you know i think a lot of people can relate to the idea that like maybe life didn't go quite the way i imagined it did um the feeling that you're maybe trapped and i i think that there there are these like seeds of her characters where you know she's not just like completely like you don't want to watch a minute you know uh with her even if she isn't necessarily the most pleasant person and she's you know i mean one of the very like, the two of, like, the first things we really, like, see her doing are two kind of core relationships. Or she's mean to her husband, who is, like, the sweetest man you have ever seen. And yeah. then uh, she is actively trying to keep her daughter in the closet. And it's, like, <laughs> these are two things that are, like, you know, your average audience member, particularly, I think, in the target audience of this movie, are, like, going to be, like, screw you, lady. Like, that that's, that's terrible. But I also think that her being kind of unlikable is also crucial to her ultimate character arc um, and the ultimate meaning of the movie, because it's her disconnect with these people, uh, with with her family members, that is ultimately like key to her accepting that her big monologue at the end that like, you know, maybe I don't understand you, Joy. Maybe I'll have all these criticisms of you, but I love you, you know, and that's, you know, what matters. And like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right here for you all the time. And maybe I won't get everything right. But, you know, I, I promise I'll try. And so I think it is that Unlikability that really sort of hits the point home in the same way that, like, you really have to have the low lows to make the high highs really impactful in a structure. I think her unlikability, uh, really is what adds to the ultimate like messaging because the messaging is like has really heavy elements to it and like has really like cynical elements in it. And I, I think you couldn't necessarily hit that cynicism as strongly if Evelyn. Wasn't also so deeply cynical and unpleasant at times. So personally, I, I yeah, I found her very engaging from the get go. And I mean, it, it it of course helps a lot that Michelle Yeoh is just such an amazing actress. Who I have been a fan of hers forever. Everything she's in, I'm like yes, Michelle. Like she's she's never been in enough movies. Um, and so that was one of the things that hooked me when I saw the trailer. I was like Michelle Yeoh, yes. Like I I didn't even <laughs> care about anyone else in the cast. I was like I'm gonna go see this. So, yeah, I think I think it, it does exactly what it's supposed to do for her ultimate arc and makes her ultimately being more likable and doing, you know, embracing this kindness that much more impactful. But on top of that, I think it's yeah, the, the most important thing is not actually making the character likable at the beginning, although you certainly can do that. But it's about sort of making them understandable in a way where like you, they feel three dimensional and they feel compelling, mm-hmm. you know, an audience can relate to them in some way.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Because, I mean, that you found her engaging as a character, too, because I, that was my one worry about it, is I was just like, I liked her. I liked the character so much because I related to her, but I wondered if other people would watch the movie and sort of feel like she's hard to root for, you know what I mean? In that, because in the first act, like you said, she was mean to to important people in her life. But you're right, though. I think that those, the state of those relationships in the beginning is what sort of makes us so happy that she turns the corner and, and, you know, treats them better by the end of the movie, right? And so we needed to see her being mean to them, or I thought that they did a good job of, and again, this was my perspective, but I, I thought that they did a good job of showing her as, not being able to treat them as well as she wanted to, but there was an undercurrent that you could see in her of like, she didn't want to be mean to her daughter. She just didn't know how to talk to her, you know, in the beginning. So I thought that that was a really fine line that they sort of had to, to walk there and, and it came through for me. So.
1: I've long been searching for the perfect screenwriting software for me. And recently I came across Arc Studio Pro, which was the software used by the writers of the hit Netflix series Arcane, which we covered on a recent episode of PopCraft Screenwriting. Now I'm happy to announce that Arc Studio is sponsoring this episode of PopCraft Screenwriting. Arc Studio understands how screenwriters think. They've created screenwriting software that doesn't distract with an overloaded interface. You can say goodbye to archaic screenwriting software and hello to advanced story building features. It'll automatically format your script it's the industry standard, and it provides stress-free collaboration tools that are as easy to use as Google Docs. Now, I mentioned that this software is already used by the writers of Arcane, but that's also true of the writer-director of Wet Hot American Summer and Rural Models. So join them and the thousands of screenwriters who have already made the leap. Arc Studio Now is offering a completely free plan, but you can also get $30 off the Pro Plan if you visit the link in the show notes below, or just go ahead and type into your browser arcstudiopro.com slash popcraft. Again, that's arcstudiopro.com slash popcraft. Check it out. You mentioned that like you didn't necessarily feel any pacing issues, but I have seen some people feel like um Act 2, the main thrust of it is a little slow, like lag some. And so I'm curious, I have some thoughts, but I I want to propose this question to you that if you had to guess, pulling it apart a bit, like why Act Two in particular, and sort of the, the thrust of the plot from like you know when she's first confronted with Alpha Waymond and like the multiverse to her big Dark Knight of the Soul moment where she almost gives like walks into the void. Why you think that may not be necessarily the momentum may be you know a, a bit more hit or miss, or like that some people feel it lags a bit at times.
0: That's a tough question because I didn't sort of share that reaction, but I mean my. My guess maybe is just that there's so much information delivered that maybe some people aren't as kind of on board with getting the explanation (laughs) and the exposition. And so it starts to feel slow for them if they're like, okay, how many more worlds do we have to visit? Or how many more, you know, of these like alternate timelines do we have to understand and follow? I thought they did such a good job of, like, every fight scene, every action scene moved the plot forward. Every time they jumped to another, another universe, right, another verse, it moved the plot forward. Like, for me, I thought that was actually a really impressive thing in the movie was that they were so good at all these crazy things are going on, but they're not tangents that aren't contributing to the, you know, the movement of the story. I, that's a tough question. I don't know. Do you have theories on it? I, so
1: th- this specifically is coming up because I was listening to like a couple other podcasts and they both had the same criticism because they were kind of vague about it. Um, they, they just like, one of the things they did mention, I do think this probably played a role is that the office set, could be a little bit you know maybe it's not the most exciting thing like I know I forget who it is someone in like I don't think it was Martin Scorsese but like someone of his generation was like you know I never want to reuse the same set twice like I want every scene to take place in a new location which I think is you know maybe a a, (laughs) an overreaction to it Uh, but that you know like you you can kind of understand the idea that like visually it's maybe more interesting to like have a greater range of sets but they are you know just going to be limited by the budget and I think it's impactful, too, in that, like, a contained set often makes things feel almost more like like you're trapped, you know, like the characters are trapped. And so you definitely get that sense. And in a way, it's sort of a, a nice little, whether intentional or not, kind of symbol for where Evelyn in particular is um, emotionally. But um, beyond that, I do want to go off what you said and why you think it ultimately works and talk about how the fight scenes move the plot forward in just a second, because I I think that's a great note that really does get to something important in the craft. And like, I'd like to discuss that maybe in a little more detail. But one of the things that uh, I do wonder is if maybe, not all the time, but enough times, uh, because the movie is fairly long, there are maybe similar sort of emotional beats. And I I don't know, I I would really have to go through and kind of like get a feel for um, very like minute by minute, sort of how the second act plays out. But like a lot of Evelyn, maybe being like, oh my God, this crazy thing is happening, you know? And that like sort of the the gags almost like are some of the differentiation between some scenes that like maybe it's a lot of, like you said, you're introduced like to this new multiverse or this new universe. A lot of just like, Evelyn, you're not good enough. Or like, Evan, Evelyn, your life sucks Which like definitely hammers the point home for her arc, but maybe could be a little repetitive if you're seeing it over and over again. And that it's a lot of just like, Punching people and then like running away, um, <laughs> and you know I am with you that it's hard to say. I I think I maybe agree with the sentiment that like I think the first and third acts are maybe the strongest parts of the movie, but I don't know that I I would actually agree with pe- like some people that the you know with the criticism that the second act is slow at times because I'm I'm with you that I think the particularly the fight scenes like really. So often in like, you know, I'm not not going to name names, but like we all probably have our own examples that we think of. But in some like big action movies, like there are fight scenes that don't really move the story forward and like don't really have an emotional core. And it's sort of just like punch the bad guys or like go on a chase scene, you know, on a motorcycle. And like there's some spectacle that's interesting and like certainly there's some level of stakes, but it's like not really advancing the story in any way and certainly not advancing the characters emotional arcs which I think is really key to all of this and making it work. You know, I think of uh, whether it's the first big fight scene with Alpha Waymond and his His fanny pack. pack. Yeah, where he's like whooping ass with that, which is so funny and so creative, the use of it. How that is sort of her first real like confrontation with the multiverse and uh, what she's capable of. First really being confronted with sort of the enemy forces, the dark forces, and the security guards, which are going to be a consistent sort of threat throughout. Um, Or like later on, she has to, you know, fight her dad, more or less, and like all of his soldiers. And that suddenly, you know, the stakes are elevated because now she's not just fighting Jobu Topaki and Jobu Topaki's group of brainwashed minions, but also like she's fighting, you know, the people who theoretically should be on her side and who were on her side. Right. Um, And so that, you know, there there is an escalation of stakes and certainly her own emotional state, Evelyn's own emotional state changes as we kind of advance through the second act. But I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Well, I was going to say one other theory that just sort of came to me as you were as you were explaining was maybe maybe the movie starts to feel slow for some people when it gets too weird, (laughs) when it gets like, you know what I mean? Because just thinking back to watching Swiss Army Man for me, I was like, okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't get a lot of this. And so, yeah,
1: it
0: kind of goes too far and you're not willing to go along with it. Then you get, you start to feel bored, right? Cause you're like, all right, speed this up. Let's get to the end, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if for some people watching this movie, just some of the stuff was just too weird. If the everything bagel black hole was too weird. And if the quick shift to the rock scene, like when they're just, you know rocks talking to each other if that was just like a step too far for some viewers who then are like i am out like you know i gotta get past this and get back to the story part of it that i understand you know
1: right no absolutely i mean that that's a great point that i i definitely think if an audience member feels like you've jumped the shark in some way or, or something like they're going to be torn out of the sort of the emotional experience i mean that's a difficulty with humor so often is you know you, you hear so often I mean, say, like, I know a common criticism of, like, Marvel movies is, you know, a joke will, like, undercut an emotional beat, and it's like, I, I don't think you're going to necessarily feel that as much if, like, the joke lands for you, but if, like, if you personally don't feel like the joke lands, and suddenly, you are you know, you're out of the movie, and it takes something else to hook you back in, and that's going to make it feel slower, you know, is going to make it feel not as impactful, so if the humor, you know, doesn't land for you, or, like, like rakukuni you know, is not your favorite <laughs> thing ever, like he is for me, and then like, you know, you may be like, okay, like come on, like let's let's get back to some like kung fu, like let's let's move towards the ending. Uh I've seen enough.
0: Right. Uh, like let's see her start to fight the bad guys so that we can wrap this up. You know what I mean? Right,
1: exactly. I, that,
0: I think that could be that very well could be just a thing that is too much for people to kind of like slow down in these weird scenes and um they just want to get back to kind of the 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 pace that they're used to you know
1: yeah absolutely and you mentioned the rock scene uh, yeah. which i have to say is i mean i've literally never seen a scene like that in in any movie ever and it is so that is that one of the scenes that made you cry
0: oh yeah for yeah. sure i mean That's- it caught me off guard too it like yeah. surprised me because i didn't know it was coming and then all of a sudden i was just you know crying watching this movie by myself um yeah i agree i've never seen a scene like that in a movie um I was actually thinking about, like, why am I willing to go along with this scene? (laughs) Because it is so odd and unexpected and doesn't really... In some ways, it does, but kind of on its face, it doesn't build on anything that came before it in the movie, right? So they just throw you into it, and you're like, "What the heck is going on?" But because it continues the emotional kind of thread that we're already invested in, and it continues the relationship that we're already invested in, and you know, and wanting to see kind of where it's going to go, the characters could be rocks, and I was still, <laughs> I was still emotionally engaged. You know, it was amazing.
1: I, I, God, yeah, I think you're 100% like hitting a bullseye there that if you're emotionally invested and like whatever your gag is, like however weird you get, whatever idea you have, if it continues that emotional through line and continues that development and continues to raise the emotional stakes and have these characters, I, I, I mentioned earlier that the movie, you know, may to some people feel like a lot of Evelyn being told like, your life sucks, you suck over and over again. But I actually think this movie doesn't repeat conversations a lot. Like I feel like every conversation, including in the fight scenes and sort of the the choreography of, of the fight scenes and the dialogue and the emotion in them is like and this gets back to sort of how how the fight scenes move the plot forward that they all are like they have something different, like they're saying something different. They're, there's not only an escalation, like they're talking about different things um, yeah. and it's all related, but it's it's still they're not repeating the same beats.
0: Yeah, I was I was going to say, even when they are like continuing a conversation from a, a previous scene, they're adding something new to the conversation, though, like it. You know what I mean? I think sometimes that's why maybe why it feels like it could be repetitive if they're talking about they're sort of like continuing conversations through the whole movie. But in each scene, they're adding a new perspective, or a new piece of information, or a new, you know, revelation that the character's having, or or a new emotional kind of response to it. So, yeah, I agree.
1: That's something that I think you see a lot in early drafts, and particularly, like, by, you know, less experienced screenwriters and even in, like, finished movies, uh, but ones that don't actually work as well, is sort of the repeated beat of, like, you know, the characters, like, discussing the same thing over and over again. You know, it it doesn't matter what type of movie it is. It could be, like, a a crime drama or whatever where the main character will be confronted and, you know, be like, oh, you – you need to open up, you know, and like different people will just say that to them in like a bunch of different ways. Or so it's like, okay, you know, you need to Humphrey Bogart, like you, you need to like care more for other people, open up your heart. Yeah, I'm not even talking about a specific movie. I don't know why I mentioned Humphrey Bogart, but uh that like, you know, in this theoretical movie starring Humphrey Bogart playing himself, uh that... He, you know, it, it's often a lot of the same conversation. It's like the best friend will be like, "You're not very nice. You need to be vulnerable with me and like stop lashing out." And uh, yeah. then the girlfriend will be like, "You you need to open up with me. Like you never open up with me."
0: Right.
1: And the parent like it's it's just saying the same thing over and over again. And this movie doesn't do that. Like while they're maybe talking about like you said continuing conversations, like there's always a new twist. Whether it's in the rock scene, for example, just being like, "Look at how meaningless life is." That like there's this universe. Where nothing happens and we're just rocks this is what life is or lack of life as it were (laughs) um and you know just like these added twists of like a new argument I guess you could say it's like if there's an overarching debate you know there's a new argument being presented a new like you said point of view and I I think that's really the right way to do it
0: well I I, a lot of times um when I'm you know, talking to screenwriters or working with screenwriters, I I use the same phrase and I think it might only make sense to me. So (laughs) I'll throw it out at you. But I always say that you want your screenplay to feel like it's having one conversation about one thing. Right. And I feel like that's what this movie does is they're talking about sort of the same thematic idea or, you know, cluster of ideas over and over again, but they, but it doesn't feel like to me anyway, it doesn't feel like they're repeating the same um, sort of comments on those ideas, right? Like right. they're having a conversation, but each scene is contributing something new to that conversation. It's just that it's all the same conversation. So it's all under the same umbrella of kind of the big thematic idea that they're exploring, you know, exactly. And that's what you want your movie to feel like. That's what you that's what holds your story together, you know, so
1: absolutely. I mean, to get back to uh, a thing you mentioned about how the the rock scene, this is how amazing this movie is is that we're you know we're talking so much about a scene where just the two characters are rocks in a wasteland uh and there's no actual like verbal dialogue it's all just like written on the screen it continues the emotional through line and that like you know that is often a problem especially if you if you don't really know what your movie is about that can pull a reader or a viewer out is you know if you have too much going on and uh you're trying to say too many different things that like the person maybe doesn't necessarily know what to like focus on or feel invested in, particularly in a movie where everything is sort of fundamentally has to be contained. Like, you know, it's a two-hour, ninety-minute experience where you know they sit down, and you get a beginning, middle, and end, and like you get up and like that's the story. You know, not most movies don't have sequels. If you suddenly, you know, you're consistently talking about love or whatever, and uh, suddenly then you you change and you ta- start talking about like greed, you know, they're gonna be like what. Does this matter? Like, what's this conversation really about? You know, and it will pull them out of the movie.
0: And even if, I think, even if, you know, reader or viewer doesn't, isn't able to like articulate that response that they're having, I think it does, it kind of, you know, jars our subconscious or whatever. And we're like, what is this about now? (laughs) You know, I thought it was about one thing and now I'm trying to track, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to track the movie from beginning to end, both the plot and the emotional thread. And like, anytime you kind of, you know, jump tracks or throw a new, a new thread at us. And I'm, I'm all over the place with that metaphor, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to like pull us out of, of kind of the experience of the, you know, the immersive experience. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So the, the last sort of uh, thing I, I wanted to talk about, a very specific piece of craft is one that I think is often left to English classes and writers, particularly when talking about, uh how to emotionally engage an audience don't actually talk about this a lot which is symbolism and i think this movie uses it really well where it's like it's not just that like you know the the curtains are blue and that represents sadness and it's like who cares (laughs) and i really specifically want to talk about the everything bagel uh, as sort of this black hole this void as sort of the perfect symbol that does emotional storytelling on top of just thematic storytelling um, that it it really is the perfect symbol for this movie in that, first of all, it sets the tone, like it's ridiculous, it's an everything bagel, like it's just silly uh, that, that this is the big, like darkness of the movie is, it, it's just ridiculous. Um, And so it was amazing for that to be like, yeah, that's, that's what this movie is, like that's what this movie, the tone of it is, but it also is this void, it's really impactful and, and visually it is kind of scary. Uh, <laughs>
0: well it's enormous it's a huge bagel
1: (laughs) right and it perfectly hits on the the theme and the you know the emotionality that it's like yes it's this everything bagel void but uh, which again just saying that it's like it kind of feels ridiculous because it is it is ridiculous but it is genuinely it's not just something you look at and you know you write like an, uh, an essay about in high school like it it has this weight to it and um, this emotionality and actively ties into the plot. I mean, in that like Joe Butapaki wants to be absorbed by it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not just there to be like window dressing. It's very much uh, a key part of the emotional storytelling, as well as just being there for thematic, you know, sort of video essay reasons. Like when you use a symbol, you can use it I guess is the thesis I'm getting to, you can use a symbol to further the emotional storytelling and that it it can have more purposes than just being there to try to look, you know, like you're really intelligent or to like hammer home um, a thematic point. Is that like, I mean, I guess that they get to the point about theming in general is like if you're going to be discussing a theme, you know make it a part of the character's emotional germ, journey, you know, like you don't want those things to be disconnected or um, to sort of be sidelined. Like this is all related. Everything should be related. And I think actually that gets back to something you said early on, which is how like this movie introduces so many things, but it, like it pulls it all together in the end. And I think that's really the key thing is like, uh, my metaphors are also all over <laughs> the I was going to say is like kind of sewing it all together, you know, like it's this big uh, tapestry um, and everything bagel of a movie <laughs> yeah, Everything a movie absolutely uh, and somehow the taste works I actually I don't like everything bagels but a oh, lot of no. people do um, yeah well I
0: I I also loved the Everything Bagel. I mean, that's kind of like the limit of my ability to accept absurdity, I think, was that, <laughs> that Everything <laughs> Bagel. Um, but I thought it worked really well in the movie. Uh, it was, like you said, so absurd and funny, but, you know, just right for the tone of this particular movie, right? Because they're talking about such serious things, so they kind of need that balance, right, to, to keep us in it. But something I noticed that I thought was really interesting was the, um, so I sort of think, and you can tell me if I'm reading too much into this, but I, I kind of think the overall takeaway message of the movie is just to see the good, right? Just to be able to see the good. And it's a choice that you you make and you put effort into it, but that is kind of what it requires to, like, live life and be a happy person and fi- or find some, you know purpose and happiness in life, right, and to be able to have good relationships, so there's always something to love, right, so see the good and I thought it was really interesting that like the everything bagel has this big hole in the middle of it, right, so you can see through it, um, it has everything, there's everything available to you, but you can see through it, and so what what do you choose to see, kind of, is the question there, and then um, the, that opening image, I think, of the movie, I think this was the first image, with the the round mirror with the yep. family in yep. it, right, so it's like, you know, looking into this mirror it kind of when the everything bagel comes around it sort of echoes that same round it's like what do you see in this round symbol <laughs> right like to me i thought that tied up the visual stuff in with the thematic or yeah the thematic ideas of the movie
1: i think you're 100% right and i, I mean i think you're you're not reading too much into it i think that is that is 100% true and that honestly i i hadn't fully connected the mirror imagery like i i, I noticed a circle but i hadn't thought it all the way through and you you're totally right I mean, that is the, the, um, like, ultimate theme of the movie, Um, and that is Evelyn's ultimate flaw, is she doesn't see anything good around her. She is not only apathetic about life, she, like, actively dislikes her life. She, She dislikes everything in it, and so she's cruel to everyone because of it. And the end of the movie is not, like, wiping away, you know, that there are things wrong with her life, you know? she's never going to fully understand her daughter. Like she's never going to be like rich and famous and have all these like, you know, wonderful th- dreams that she had, but she does have like, she has a wonderful family and she loves them. And like, it, it's, I think you're a hundred percent right that it's about what you see. It's about that mirror that how do you view your life? And that it's, you know, that's how like Wayman says, like kindness is how he fights. Like, I think that really is sort of the message is like, it's a choice. It's not just, it doesn't just happen. It's a choice to view everything positively. And I think you're a hundred percent right. And I mean, that's a great, wonderful insight that really, I mean, that's the movie right there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Why I love uh, it so much.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I know. I, I, I
0: love it. Um, <laughs> there's I'm just so much smart. to talk about. Yeah. There's, yeah. there are like so many, so many little things that stick with me. I mean, I'll, you know, I'm still thinking about the movie. Some, like a line of dialogue will come to me as I'm brushing my teeth or something. And I'm just like, oh gosh, that was so good.
1: (laughs) Right. Oh my God. I know. I I had the same reaction after the, particularly the first time I saw it, that I was just thinking about it constantly, which is always the sign of you watched or read something really impactful and and really just well-made is you can't stop thinking about it. Like, yeah.
0: Well, I love that it had that effect and it was so entertaining on top of it. Like it did both things. It, It gave me, you know, it gave me everything I wanted out of sort of like a kung fu action movie. But then it also gave me so much to think about and so much to connect with and feel that like it sort of hit everything that I look for in a movie, you know?
1: Absolutely. And yeah, so one last little piece of uh, like crafting that occurred to me when you mentioned the mirror. This is a thing that I was taught is as a writer. And this is really like a teeny tiny thing. It's often really important to try to open with a really strong image like a really interesting image and so you know the movie opens with this mirror where you know reflecting onto Evelyn I think the whole family and it um kind of cuts between them like if I remember right like being like happy and then to a blank space and sort of dimly lit I'm I'm trying to remember the exact cut but again finding a way to open with a strong image where it's not like the generic man sleeping in bed and alarm goes off you know sort of thing like finding something unique that really speaks to your story it's a small thing but i think it's a really useful piece of craft that i always try to think about is like what's your opening image like how are you going to try to hook the audience from second one
0: well yeah and and you're right that that opening image was the mirror with the the three of them reflected in it in a happy time right like i think evelyn or sorry i think uh joy was young in the reflection so they show the happy family but Obviously was a a little while ago. And then what I thought was really interesting about it is the it the cut is then just to the mirror without the reflection. Right. And then it shows us, like I think it reverses and shows us the apartment. and we start to see how the family is now, right? Because everyone's kind of like coming in and interacting and stuff. Just a little little teeny tiny thing. But I thought what was really smart about that was was that cut to the blank mirror, like the mirror with no reflection, because I think in my brain, it instantly was like, oh, what's that about? What's what's going to happen here? If it was just the reflection of the happy family and then reverse to the family now, you know, a few years later, not not as happy. You know, there's something there, right? Like it shows that there's a change and we might be curious about, like, how did that change happen? Like what happened in the intervening years or whatever? But I think that that was such an interesting and sort of like brain jarring little split second cut you know that really piqued my interest um because it really i i think makes a pronounced kind of statement that there was a there's a big change here something big happened you know
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: and it was you know just about the the changing dynamics of the family but so much had changed in the family
1: no i i totally agree i think the the juxtaposition of, of the imagery that was definitely the best way to approach that opening and that, that cut i and i like you you know give back what you originally said that like, it gets to the core of the movie too, that like, you know, you see this, this happy family and like, that's ultimately the focus is like focusing on this, you know, the joy around you and the things you have. Um, so is there, is there anything else you want to talk about with uh, everything, everywhere, all at once?
0: <laughs> well, no small coincidence that the daughter's name is Joy, right? <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. uh, and then also, you know, one thing that I just there are no answers to this, but one thing I was curious about was, um, so there's like an earlier draft of the script kind of floating around out there. And I, I am really curious to get a a copy of the shooting script because I'd like to go through, you know, the story and script version and kind of like analyze it more closely, but there's an older draft of the script and I started reading it. And the protagonist is sort of a gender swap. Like the protagonist is the husband of the family, uh, not the wife, right? The, dynamic between them is pretty similar, but um, it's the husband that we're kind of following as the hero of the the movie. I'm assuming that the reason they switched it was because of Michelle Yeoh, right? Like they're like, let's cast her. She'll, you know, she can play the role and we'll just make it um, kind of her story. But what I thought was so interesting about that is like, even if that was a, a choice that they, they had to make for you know, the purposes of getting the movie produced, like, I thought that added so much to the story to have a mother-daughter relationship. And again, maybe that's just me. So I'm curious, like, did that, do you think that that affected your, I guess, um, ability to connect with the movie at all? The fact that it was a mother-daughter relationship instead of a father-daughter?
1: You know, I I don't think so. Not overall. Um, I do think that, like, one thing I have noticed in my like very personal subjective experience with movies is that like my sibling relationships are really important to me. So often like if a, a movie is about like a a brother um, or even a son, that that will often hit me a little harder personally, um, more than like a sister or daughter sort of thing. But it doesn't stop me entirely. Um, that sort of switch of, of the gender dynamics. I, I actually think it's more interesting this way, too. Um, Because I think we've seen a lot of movies about like unhappy middle-aged, slightly past middle-aged like men and having, you know, this more matured like female lead, I think also just made it feel more unique, Yeah. Um, particularly as like an action movie, just on so many levels. I thought it was just, it made it feel more fresh. So certainly for me personally, that probably helped actually with the, not only building my excitement for it, but with my initial immersion that I was like, Okay, yeah, like this is something new, like this is something you know you don't see all the time. Yeah, I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, I agree. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I I think the point off of what you were saying about the I haven't read that version. I had heard it was going around. I looked for the the shooting script. I could not find it. But I think it was meant for Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. which would have been I I can't even imagine how different the movie would have been. Like he, he definitely his sense of humor is like physical comedy definitely could have fit in. But I just have to imagine that movie would have come out so differently with him as the lead and that really is a power of different actors can change so much in you know the end product of a movie
0: yeah i think it was intended to be jackie chan because in that older version of the script i think they used the name jackie chan as oh. for the character um yeah i think you're right there i'm so curious just kind of about the process of getting this made you know because like you're saying it was a smaller budget obviously they had to get cast that would allow them to well, maybe not obviously, uh, I was going to say they probably cast the cast that they did and then were able to get financing and, and stuff like that. So, but I am, I'm really curious about the process, like how they, how they went from their original version of the idea to what it became.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I will say actually the Daniels have discussed that a little bit uh, in some detail in the theme of the podcast script apart. I had Al Horner the host of that podcast on PopCraft for a while. Um, And yeah, that whole podcast, I recommend everyone to check it out. It's really about the um, changes from the first draft to the shooting uh, draft of the movie. um, And even like the finished, you know, edits and everything. And, Al is a great guy, really smart and a good writer in his own right. And he uh, has an episode actually with the Daniels, which I I recommend everyone go to check out. It's really interesting to hear them. I love listening to them talk about this movie. I've watched so many videos now at this point. Um, They're really smart guys. And I, I think they have a very unique perspective too. And I definitely recommend checking out and hearing sort of the changes they made and why they did and they do talk about that's how I knew about the Jackie Chan thing is I think they mentioned it in that it's a great episode. So, yeah, go check out. Oh
0: Star. Yeah, that's cool. I, I did not know he uh, I didn't know there was an episode with them for from that podcast. So I will check it out, too.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, anything else?
0: I don't think so. I think we've covered what we can cover.
1: <laughs> do You want to talk about um your book, and the screenplay outline uh,
0: or workbook yeah. with it? Yeah, sure. It's um it's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, you know, I teach screenwriting and I um work with screenwriters one on one and producers and directors as well. And um one thing that people kind of always ask for is like, can you give me just the step by step to go from having an idea to getting it outlined? Like I'm I'm comfortable writing the script, but I feel like I need to put sort of a little bit more thought into arranging the elements, right, and like getting the story worked out before I get to screenplay pages. And so that's where it came from, is just, you know, students and clients asking me to kind of put something together. And so it's called the Screenplay Outline Workbook. And it's, it's not the definitive set of steps that you have to go through, but it's hopefully a set of tools and exercises that will help you take, well, find an idea if you don't have one, and then take an idea, you know, decide which one to write, take that idea and develop it, come up with all of the elements that you need to sort of create the foundation of the story, develop your characters, and then take you step by step through how do I, like, actually flesh out the story and beat out the story so that I have an outline and can then go write the script. So that's the that's the goal of it.
1: That's awesome. I mean, it sounds great. I, I know I'm always looking for new tools. I'm like constantly reading, you know, new books on the craft of screenwriting and to hear people's different perspective and just writing in general. Um, And I think that's, you know, a very useful thing for anyone who wants to be a writer is to like constantly be studying up and just learning constantly and constantly trying to improve. And I think that's, uh, I mean, it sounds like a great resource. I'll have to check it out myself.
0: Well, I hope you do. I hope you like it. Um, Yeah, I was just going to agree with you and say, though, Sometimes writers ask me, like, what's the best screenwriting book to read so that I'll just know everything, right? Like what's that (laughs) that, like golden key, that magical that will just explain it all to me? And I totally agree with you that I think that the process of learning the craft is really creating your own mental framework for how a story works and how to put a story together. So read widely, like read all the books throw out what you don't like or what doesn't resonate with you, but incorporate the ideas that do make sense into your own understanding. Don't just, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about with checklists. It's like, don't just follow somebody else's rules for writing a screenplay, because those rules aren't going to apply to every single story out there. And every script you write has its own unique challenges. So you're gonna serve yourself much better by by creating your own understanding of how a story works, so that you know how to address the challenges that come with your story and every story you write. Versus just trying to get your thing to fit into the box that somebody else created, you know?
1: That's brilliant. I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think what you just articulated something that I think I struggled to and, and is a, a motivating factor behind this podcast, which is to teach people and help people, like, learn all these different tools and ultimately define their own approach to writing, you know, to find what, what's your own process, uh, what, what are, what's your own craft and uh i mean yeah i just i think that's wonderful and uh, it's been great having you on the podcast uh where can people find you online naomi
0: let's see they can go to my website uh it's writeandco.com w-r-i-t-e-a-n-d-c-o.com um that's kind of where i write articles about screenwriting and you know you can find uh find me for workshops and consults and stuff like that and then also <laughs> twitter you can find me on twitter it's just naomi baity my first and last name and um, and then you can find the book on Amazon.
1: Awesome. And this will all be linked in the liner notes uh, below. Well, thank you again, Naomi, for coming on the podcast. Seriously. It was such a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was a great discussion and a lot of fun, and i'm I'm glad that you forced my hand to finally watch the movie, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm so glad too. I, I am very much in the uh, the cult of this movie, and I'm trying to spread the good word
0: <laughs> me too. i'm I'm joining the cult as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love to hear it. All right. Well, Remember to check out Naomi's book, linked below, as well as a 30% off discount to Arc Studio Pro. And consider donating to Patreon, following the show, and remember to let everyone you know know about PopCraft screenwriting. We'll be coming out with some more new segments, some more special guests, all in the coming weeks. We will be continuing PopCraft Season 2 with a bi-weekly schedule, so that's every other week a new episode will come out. Until then... I've been your host, Carl Albert, and this was Pop